This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Penn Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this week, we're going to spend some time looking on what Jesus had to say about repentance and right living, righteousness, even as all around him, a lot of confusion, misguided loyalties, you might say. But before that, you know, we, we got Father's Day coming up at the end of this week, and that's a, an important time in the American culture. Good old Father's Day. So, you know, Ben, you, you love some Father's Day. You got a couple of daughters, and and they they probably like to spoil you on that day, right? And what what a, what's a Green Bomb household tradition on on Father's Day? Uh, I don't know. Maybe grilling out. Um, yeah, they usually for Mother's Day, you know, they make Sherry breakfast in bed. Uh, for me, I'm already gone cause it's on a Sunday. So I'm already gone and into church. So I don't get breakfast in bed. Um, but yeah, the girls and, and Sherry, uh, is, you know, they're, they're great about spoiling me, um, uh, about truly trying to give me, uh, a day. Um, but a perfect father's day uh, for me, honestly, would be grilling out, cutting grass and, uh, and getting to, to go fish with the, with the girls. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Fish first and eat later or? No, 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 I mean, you know, we fish out of the retention pond behind the house. And so, you know, my dad used to tell me that everything cooks off, but I, <laughs> I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to test, uh, that theory. And, uh, and my neighbors would probably get mad at me if I started yanking fish out and, and eating them. But uh, but yeah. How about you? What's your uh, what's your favorite uh, well, Father's you know, Day? My activities? birthday is is always within about three days of Father's Day, either either direction, you know, whatever. So quite often, my my whole family comes to visit sometime during that time period. We have two daughters who live in Florida, and one who lives in Indianapolis nearby here, and one who lives in Muncie, Indiana, about an hour north of here, and so. We have these, our four daughters and a couple of sons-in-law and grandchildren, and quite often right around that time period, either then or days before, just after, we are all together. And that, you know, as, a, as an old man now who has uh, daughters in their late 20s and early 30s and grandchildren and all those kinds of things, I, I just love being together. That's the only gift that I want. I remember when my parents had said that, like, all I want, my dad had always said, all I, all I really want is the family to be together. And I used to think, how lame is that? Like, you, like you don't, and that's exactly where I am now. I really don't need any gifts to be given to me. I just want my family to be together. And we're spread out enough that it's not a, it's not a regular task mm-hmm. to, that can be accomplished pretty easily. A thousand miles away, a couple of our daughters live. So, and they're going to be coming. Um, so we're looking forward to that this year as as well. Well, we're going we're gonna to dive into, again, we're in Luke. We're spending several weeks in a row in Luke. And here we're in Luke chapter 13 today. And there are just really some interesting things that Jesus talks about. Again, he's, he's preparing his followers for life without him. I mean, not ever without him. He'll always be with us, but without his physical presence. And 
he's reminding them of staying true to the cause no matter what. In Luke chapter 13, verse 1, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, that would be tremendous. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. I don't know really think anything about this episode that took place, but there was something happening there that these Galileans who lived up in the northern part of what we know as Israel now had done something that made Pilate, Pontius Pilate, angry, and he put them to death and mixed it with some kind of religious ceremony. And Jesus says in verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I want to skip down to verse 4 before we come back. Verse 4, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. There was some kind of a tragedy, apparently, and a tower falls down and, and killed a bunch of people. He said, do you think they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? This idea that bad things happen to bad people is not a new one. And here we have these people who, one, had been put to death by kind of a crazy man, Pilate, and the other, just it was a, a natural disaster. A building fell on them, and it, they, they died. And they, there's, a, there's a kind of an idea that runs around. It's been running around forever. It's old as the book of Job, you know, in the, mm-hmm. in the Bible, that if bad things happen to you, you're a bad person. You've, you've messed up. You've, you've angered God. You've angered the wrong, the wrong person somewhere, and you deserve what you get. Yeah, I mean, most people function uh, through the mindset more of karma than than Christ when it comes to uh, issues of suffering. And so uh, we see it uh, in the Old Testament uh, with Job and his buddies. You know, his buddies show up and they just assume that Job has done something wrong. He's done something to merit uh, merit punishment, and that's why he's suffering. And so. Uh, we see this in, in Jesus' words here um, as he basically asks these questions. Uh, I mean, essentially underlying, underlying these questions, do you, do you think you're more righteous than, than these other folks um, from the standpoint that uh, they hadn't suffered? And so uh, then, uh, you know, they, they've been living a, a right life, not deserving of, of judgment or, or punishment. And, uh, and so that's how I, that's how I read the, the passage itself. Jesus seems to be refuting that, that philosophy, and he says, these people were no worse or more guilty than any, any of you, right. basically, because he, he's talking to the Galileans in the north and people in Jerusalem, which was the south, so really kind of covers all of the people that were Jewish and, and saying, look, don't judge them because something bad happened to them. In fact, he turns it, and he says both in verse 3 and in verse 5, in comparison to these, he said, I tell you, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless you repent. Repent of what? Well, this wrong way of living that we're kind of talking about here, this idea that we have sinned and are 
short of God's glory in the midst of that. And that sin demands repentance. What is this word repent? What can you what can you tell us about it a little bit? It's a Greek word, metanoia. It means to change your mind, change your mindset, to turn your mind around in a different direction. Why is Jesus using the word repent here when he's when he's talking about these physical acts of people being put to death and a physical act of a building falling down and you dying? Why is he using a spiritual word repent and and what does he mean by if you don't do that, you will perish. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people, talking to people who have ultimately judged themselves based upon the perceived uh, unrighteousness of others. And so they see others through the lens of they are, the, the folks over there, they are wanting, their hearts are not aligned uh, with God, but over here, we're all doing uh, great. And Jesus is calling them, you know, as you, as you described, uh, metanoia, the idea that I'm going to make this 180 degree turn. And while I have been facing ultimately and living a, a life ultimately that is opposed to God or facing away from God, I'm going to turn my heart, turn my gaze upon God and, and give my life over uh, to him. And Jesus is calling out the, the sin and the lives of those that he is speaking to, calling them to recognize their own sin, calling them to repent uh, and turn their hearts over uh, to God. Um, because what they have been doing is they have been living their life through the lens of comparative religion, looking at the lives of others, looking at the suffering, in this case, looking at the suffering of others and saying, oh, those folks over there, they must have done something really wrong, really bad. Uh, but we over here, we're doing things right. Yeah, I think it was Martin Luther who who talked about a heart curved in mm. on itself, and metanoia to repent means to turn that heart outward mm -hmm. toward toward God, toward others. Um, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, and to to make that change, that spiritual change in your life that changes the course of your life, the direction of your life, so that you're truly living not for self but but for God. That's the this, my spin on what I heard you mm -hmm. kind of say uh, just a, just a moment ago. So he's he's speaking to them here and reminding them of those things. Now there's a, a sudden shift in verse six. It seems like a shift, sort of, but he's telling a parable in verse six. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. He said to the man who took care of the vineyard. For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. It ain't over till it's over. Or, or something like that. I don't know what this one says, but he's talking about, it's a another picture, a word picture. He's so good at those with his parables. What, what's he driving at here with giving it another year? You know, give him another chance. What's, what seems to be going on here is Jesus is talking about repentance in, in your spiritual life. I, I think we see God's mercy and patience um, d displayed here. 
um, recognizing that that judgment will ultimately come, but we do see God's patience. He, in many ways, is long uh, suffering uh, with us and and seeking to bring us to uh, repentance. Um, but yeah, like our, our lives, if if we've repented um, for for us, if we've repented, if we're following after Christ, if we've given our life over to Christ, our life is going to bear fruit in keeping uh, with that. Our life is going to ultimately uh, come to to taste and reflect more fully the the life Christ desires from us. It's never too late. That's right. To turn your to turn heart outward toward God. It's never too late to turn your life around to repent. To follow him, he seems to be saying. Now, the very next verse is is a new scene, a new setting. It's in Luke 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Common occurrence, synagogues were the gathering place of the Jewish community. In all of the towns and villages, they had synagogues. And so Jesus was invited, maybe it was his turn, to come and do the teaching in that particular synagogue. Verse 11, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, I am not a physician. But there's all kinds of stuff that's happening here. I mean, there are bones aligning and muscles being restored and all kinds of miraculous things. So this woman who for 18 years was uh, dealing with all kinds of, of pain in her life and misalignment in her body to be straightened up and to be able to praise God because of it. And you'd think that everybody would be good. Not so. Verse 14, indignant. Not the next word I would expect, indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Interesting that this synagogue leader, the, the guy who was in charge of the synagogue, didn't say this to Jesus. He said it to the people. If you've got your issues, your problems, your your brokenness, come on the other six days so that Jesus, if you want him to do work or some of us to do work in your life, if you want to be healed on, on those other six days, do it. Again, these guys are so focused on the, the law, the rule of six days of working and one day of not that they're missing the greater picture of what God would have in store for for him and that is for Jesus and for them to do work and for the people. It's it's a really misguided understanding of who God's called us to be and what God's called us to do with, with our lives. And Jesus doesn't like it. And here's the word. We keep doing it. Last time we did it, here we go again, verse 15. The Lord answered that guy, you hypocrites. Once again, he just lets them have it, calling out their hypocrisy. Down in verse 17, when he had said all this, all his opponents were humiliated 
but the people were delighted. How do you think that went over with with uh, the religious leaders of the day when the crowd gets all all excited and delighted about what Jesus is doing, and they are humiliated right in front of them? The people who, are, by the way, are in charge of the church, the synagogue leaders, are humiliated, and the people are turning their loyalty away from them and toward Jesus. What do you think is going on? They were probably indignant. <laughs> probably <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That's yeah. why. You, that's why you got all those degrees, bro. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, they. Uh, yeah, the the just extreme lack of compassion uh, and concern that you see uh, from them as they seek to uh, as they seek to in their own mind abide uh, by the law. Um, it's just it's it's. I mean, it's, it's gut-wrenching uh, to see their attitude uh, toward the people themselves, the idea that they would be indignant uh, because Christ has healed uh, this crippled uh, woman um, is, is in so many ways mind-blowing. Obviously, it cuts against the, the heart of God. It, it cuts against the idea that we, you know, we're called to love our neighbor, um, which they themselves would have affirmed that call, at least in theory. Um, and yet they put a, a box around it. It just puts Jesus in hotter and hotter water with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. D- to the point where down in verse 31, at, some, at that time it says, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. This, this phrase seems way out of context for me, that the Pharisees, it looks at first blush, the Pharisees are trying to protect Jesus. The Pharisees had been trying to do away with Jesus for a while already. And here it looks like they're trying to protect him and say, you know, get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. And you don't want to stick around Jerusalem because you don't, you don't want Herod to kill you. And we don't want Herod to kill you. Uh, there's something going on here that's yeah. more than the words that are on the on the screen, in the in my case, or on the on the in the in the Bible, yeah, they 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 just want to get rid of Jesus. They just want him out of the way, and so now they they come to him as if they are concerned about his physical well being, uh, just to get him, just to in essence to run him out of town. You know, hey, we we love to have you stick around, and you know that we could debate some more um, and ask more questions of you, but you know, Herod wants to kill you. Yeah, get so out get of Jewish out of territory. Yeah. I mean, you get out, get out of Jerusalem, especially. And he replies in verse 32, go tell that Fox. What a, what a great thing. Go tell that Fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. I don't know that I've ever preached on that single verse. I'll reach my goal. Did he think he had a numerical goal for how many people he wanted to heal and to cast out demons from? It doesn't seem to be what he's talking about here because it goes on to verse 33. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Remember, he's getting closer and closer to the time in which he's going to be arrested and convicted and then executed in Jerusalem. So he's, he's talking about a day, like a 24-hour day, but he's talking about more than that. He's talking about physical 
healing and reaching his goal, but he's talking about more than that. As he's speaking these, these words to the Pharisees who are, quote, trying to protect him, what do you think he's going for here in, in terms of speaking? To, is he talking here to the Pharisees? Is he talking here to the Pharisees, but really to the disciples, to others? Um, help, me, help me out with these verses a little bit. The way I read it is that ultimately he's talking about, uh, in essence, the fullness of time, um, that he's going to continue to live uh, fully into his call, uh, ultimately, in, until he's arrested and, and killed. Um, obviously, the, the number three itself, he, he's probably pointing forward also to his own uh, physical uh, resurrection. Um, but I think that, again, the way I read it is that Jesus will continue to faithfully live into uh, the call that's been placed upon him uh, until the moment that he is nailed to the cross. And so he is going to go uh, where he is supposed to go. Um, he is not going to be uh, ushered out of town. Uh, he's not going to uh, live uh, in accord with somebody's, somebody else's wants and desires, but is simply going to, to faithfully uh, live into the will of the Father. And, and so they, they want him to get out of town, to get out of Jerusalem, and he concludes it in verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Later we'll see again where Jesus is, is grieving and mourning over Jerusalem. And I wonder how many of us who are followers of Christ cry out for our cities, cry out for our communities, cry out for our nation, cry out for our world, and just long for our communities to turn their hearts toward God, toward to, to be people who are authentic followers who live in true repentance and true righteousness and move outside of the misguided loyalties we've been talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we're, we really cry out for our cities and our communities in the way that Jesus seemed to do so for Jerusalem. It's a, it's a powerful thought. I'm going to close right now just simply praying. And wherever you are as you're listening to this, give you some space to, to cry out to God for the, for the neighborhood, the community, the city that you might be living in right now and ask God to do amazing, amazing things. Let's, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for all of your good gifts you've given to us. And we pray for our, our communities. We name them before you right now. And thank you that you, you love the people who are part of that. 
that community. We pray for the leaders, civic leaders, the spiritual leaders in the community. We pray for the educators, police officers, rescue and fire, hospital workers. We pray for people who keep the streets clean and taken care of. We thank you for those who serve behind the scenes at the stores and shops and restaurants. We long for for all of them to come to know you and to follow you. We pray for our cities. And we thank you that you have placed us right where we are. We live where we are, where we live on purpose, so that you can use us to make a difference in others' lives. Oh Lord, we pray these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm. Amen. Well, next time, Ben, we'll take a look at Jesus' teaching on pride and humility. Pride and humility. As we dive deeper into Luke, we'll be in Luke chapter 14 next time. Folks, if you want to go more and learn more about what we're doing here with the life of Jesus, a full year in the life of Jesus, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org or our church app, click on the Life of Jesus link, and there are a number of other elements in this year-long study that will help you in your journey. Until next time, may God bless. Thank you.